This is Matthew 7, 24 through 29. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, everybody who has helped with the service so far. And thank you for being here today. We want to welcome you once again. Uh, What a great day to worship together. We are in a VBS series right now, and one of the, the theme is focus, as you can, you can tell by the uh, uh, decorations on the stage. And uh, we are taking each of the days of VBS, and we're kind of going out each uh, five Sundays, and we're looking at each of those days uh, from the adult perspective of what our kids are going to learn that week of VBS. And so we've been, last week we, we took a look at what God made, we're focusing on what God made. Uh, We're going to take a look at what Jesus did for us as far as salvation of the Gospels next week. We're going to take a look at how we can talk to God in prayer. And then the final week, we'll get to look at ways that we get to love people just like Jesus loves us. And we'll take a look at the greatest commandment. And the heart of the VBS lesson today is this. Look at how Jesus teaches us. Look at how Jesus teaches us. One of the greatest teachings of Jesus is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And it comes from a text that we like to call the Sermon on the Mount. And the story today that we just read is how he ends his greatest teaching. It's kind of the mic drop of Jesus, if you will. And so, uh, we're going to get right into it. This little story in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, there are two men And each of them build a house. And so there are two houses in the story. And in this little parable about aspiring homeowners, we get to see some things pretty clearly that Jesus wants us to see and lays out for us. Um, If we compare the two men, we can come away with some things pretty easily. Number one, everybody builds something. Each one of these guys had a desire to build a house. They wanted to build a great house. Uh, So from the floor plans to the furnishings, they uh, had this all planned out. Everything was hand-picked. This was kind of a like a Chip and Joanna Gaines are coming in and they're consulted, right? And so each homeowner here gets exactly the house that they were after from the outside looking in. And The point that Jesus is making right off the bat is pretty hard to miss. It's this, that just like these guys built physical houses, you and I are building our lives, our spiritual houses with every decision that we make. We all have dreams and goals and desires. With every decision we make, we build our life. And so, Whatever friends you choose, whatever class you take, the food that you eat, even today, (laughs) the uh, money that you spend, the, the shows that you watch, the books that you read, the movies 
that you see, the walks that you take, the hobbies that you have, all of those little decisions are building you a life. Stack all of those decisions up and over the course of time, you have built something. And to us, every one of those little decisions that we make every day always seems like the right one. It always does at the time. Rarely does anyone make a dumb decision intentionally. Dumb decisions are always in hindsight. Right now, I really do think that I'm making the right decision. Maybe today you're going to find a really shady spot to park, and so you park in that shady spot, but, and you think that's the right decision. What you don't know is that later today, there are going to be some kids that are going to come and shoot fireworks in that shady spot as well, and you're going to come back to char marks from magic snakes on the hood of your car. And all of a sudden, that wasn't a good decision, right? Right now, they're, they're nothing but good decisions. And that's why we think we're doing okay. But the truth is, Everyone is building a life with the decisions that they make. And the, the reality that springs out of that truth is this, that everybody then lives in the house that they built. These two guys build houses. And they, didn't, they get their houses done, and the thing that they didn't do was then to go down the street and live in some, somebody else's house. No, no, no. They build a house... And then they lived in that house. You live in the house that you built. Um, maybe you built your house and you looked around and you, just, and you realized, wow, my house doesn't have any windows in it. It's because you built it that way. Maybe you built a house and you look at, get to overlook an, um, a, you know, a mountain uh, that, because you built windows and, and you put your house in, in the mountains. Good for you. You built it that way. Maybe you got your house built and you looked around and you realized there's no indoor plumbing. Oh my goodness. There's no one to blame but yourself because you built it that way. Maybe you built your house and there's this awesome man cave or this really awesome craft room. Congratulations, you built it that way. The decisions that you make, that I make, as well as the decisions that we choose not to make. All of those decisions every day play a role in the kind of house that we build and end up living in. Even our non-decisions build a life. Now, that's something that our culture doesn't like to hear right now, but it's true, right? Without too much exception, you are where you've chosen to be in life. And so, that's the first observation. Both of these men build, and just like that, we are building a life. Here's observation number two, that everyone in the story is hearing something. They're not only building something, but they're hearing something. Verse 24 says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And then in verse 26, he says it again, everyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice. And so, everybody hears the words, right? Both builders are operating with the same information. Both builders know the type of land that they're building on. They've both done surveys. They've both done the perk tests. They've bo both done the soil samples, all of that. They know what they're building on. They know the type of material that is available. Is it a wood frame house that we're after? Is it metal uh, studs? Is that what we're going to go? Are we going to build with cement? They know the type of material that is available. They also know 
the weather patterns, both of them know. They, they know where the floodplains are. They know where the earthquake zones are. They know where the tornado alleys are. They're operating from the same set of information. So both of these guys build, we're all building, and both of these guys hear, and we are all hearing. Here's the third observation, that everyone is also facing something. Both builders complete their project, and they have exactly the house that they want, and they live the life that they have built for themselves. And then both of them encounter a storm. Jesus says that torrential rains come, and flooding comes, and wind beats against the houses. That, that kind of sounds like a hurricane to me. Uh, one thing I know is that life is predictable in this, that storms will happen. It's not if the storm happens, but when the storm happens. But usually we don't plan that way, right? Storms, we don't ever enter storms into our Google calendar. You know, Friday there's going to be a storm. We don't ever do that. We know they'll happen, but what we say is, oh, that'll be tomorrow, or that w- if it does ha- happen, that storm will happen to somebody else. That's usually the way we play it. But just as suddenly as bad news appears in the text for these two home builders, it happens to us. Boom, right? The crack, and all of a sudden, there's a storm upon us. And so, right now, uh, I'm great, right? Because every decision that I make seems to be the right one, but my very next minute could bring a storm. And if you've lived a week or two in this life, you've experienced that, have you not? You've, you've taken that call and you've gotten that bad news, you've sat in on that consultation that did not go the way that you thought it would go, everyone goes through storms. In fact, what Jesus does is He repeats this line of the storm for both houses. Verse 25 says it, and the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. And then in verse 27, the other house, the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Same line for both houses. Jesus wants to make sure that we understand that the storms are unavoidable. It's not like you can just move somewhere else and avoid the storm. Both of these guys got it. They will come. They will come for every house. And when they come, here's the question, will you be at peace or not? So everyone builds, everyone hears, and everyone faces hardship. And by now, you should have caught on that everyone means you. You build. You hear. You face hardship. And now, if we compare, that's what we learn. If we contrast these two people, we even learn more than that. Um, These two ambitious house-building men, if we see what they did that was opposed to each other, uh, we can learn a lot. And Jesus is pretty upfront about a few things. Number one, he's upfront about their faculties. In other words, uh, their character, the character these guys had. Look at verse 24. One man, the first man, is, what's the word? Wise. It means understanding. It means that he took the information that was available to him and he applied it 
to the life that he was living. And biblically, that's what wisdom is. It is the ability to apply information to life. If you find yourself with $15 million in your pocket, wisdom is taking the right step with it. Wisdom is, I would assume, setting up all of the right accounts and trusts and hiring the right uh, managers so that your money will always be there while providing you with an income to live. I would assume that that's wise. And one man in this story is wise like that. He has all the information and he applies it to life. He knew what needed to be done and he did it. In verse 26, we have completely the opposite scenario. The other man, Jesus doesn't mince words here, and I'm just going to say it out loud, he calls this other man a moron. That's literally the Greek word, moros. That's where we get the word moron. Jesus calls him a moron. A moron is a stupid person. A moron is a person who fails to put into practice the knowledge that they were given. A moron is a nitwit. Um, A moron is a person who finds himself with $15 million in his pocket and goes out and hires 15 private detectives for a million dollars each and then directs them to spy on each other. You'll get that tomorrow. Okay, that's all right. That's a moron. And one person in the story is wise and one person is a moron. And the difference between the two is the ability to apply information to life. Now, I need to clarify here because lacking information does not make somebody a fool. Um, All of us are ignorant about something. I'm pretty up on the Bible, but if you put a scalpel in my hand and ask me to perform surgery, you're going to have problems (laughs) because I am ignorant about how to perform surgery. We're all ignorant about something. It doesn't, that doesn't make us fools. What makes us fools is when we fail to apply the information that we've been given. We have all the information we need and we just don't respond or we respond in a way that's contrary to all of the information. That's what makes a moron. And one person in the story was and one person was not. And again, by all outward appearance and perception and by all outward measure, these two men are exactly the same. If you're walking by and you're looking at these two houses, these two men, they're two families, they look exactly the same. But Jesus says they are fundamentally different people. And the thing that created the difference was their foundations, their foundations. In verse 24, Jesus says, the wise man builds his house on the, what's the word? Rock. And it means that he had to dig down deep into the ground until he hit bedrock, and that bedrock became the foundation for his house. Now, Jesus knew what he was talking about because Jesus, uh, if you'll remember, was a carpenter, and so he was probably familiar with all of the builders, but also he was familiar with his hometown of Nazareth and the area around it. And if you, even today, if you go to Nazareth and you try to build a house, what you will have to do is to dig down about 30 feet in the ground before you hit rock that is suitable to build anything on top of. Jesus knew that. As a matter of fact, he tells this story again in the book of Luke, and in that story, he phrases this 
phrases it this way, that the man digged and went down deep. That's what he says. Maybe even 30 feet, probably. And so what does that tell us? It tells us that building on the rock is expensive. Lots of man hours to dig that deep. It tells us this, that building on the rock is time-consuming. That takes a lot of manpower to do that. But it also tells us that when you dig down that deeply, when you take that, that time and, that, and go to that expense, you, when you build on the rock like that, you're building something that's built to last. Contrast that to verse 26. What does the moron do? The moron builds his house on the, what's the word? The sand. The sand. And sand, if you know anything about it, it's not stable, right? Uh, sand cannot be compacted to form anything that's solid. Sand just, you know, uh, sand can't provide a base to build anything on top of, and it's useless as a foundation. And this man that does this knows this. He has all the information. He has heard, right? So why would anyone build on the sand? Here's the answer. It's cheap. It's fast. We can save the expense of having to employ people to dig down. We can have the, the house. We don't need to look for a suitable place where there's rock. We can just build it anywhere. We can have the house wherever we want it. I was watching a This Old House episode, and they went to a beachfront, I think, on um, Cape, Cape Cod or somewhere like that uh, on the East Coast. And there was this beautiful row of houses, and they were big, and they were gorgeous. They were roomy houses that you would expect to be on the beach. The problem is they were all without inhabitants because those people that built those houses were forced out of their homes because they built them on a beach. Now, who doesn't want a beach house, right? You build a house on a beach to look good. And that's what our guy is doing. He's building his house on the beach to have a nice view, to be the envy of the coastline. Now, he's really not on the beach, right? He's in the middle of Palestine, but it's kind of the same principle because in Palestine, there were dried up riverbeds all over the place that looked really inviting as building sites. And so, houses that were erected there would look really good, but all it takes is one storm, and guess where all the water is going to go? And Jesus tells us the rest of the story by telling us of the fruits of these two guys. Those houses on the beach in the This Old House episode, they, they never calculated that the beach would get eroded away. The beach literally got eroded away into the sea. That's, that's what happened. Storm after storm, wave after wave, and after each one, less and less beach. And, and finally, the waves started lapping up against the house even. And it's only a matter of time before the waves pull the house into the sea as well. And Jesus says, in this story, that's kind of what happened, except it wasn't a slow process like this. It was immediate. Jesus says, expect the storm. If you expect the storm, those beach houses would have been some, built somewhere else if somebody would have come and said, you know what, in 10 years, the, this beach is going to be gone. It's going to be eroded, eroded away. Who knew that a beach could just disappear, right? 
so Jesus says in verse 25, one house stood, and then in verse 27, one house fell. Not only did it fall, it fell greatly, and the word is mega. It mega fell. It supersized fell. And again, if you're just walking by on the outside, all of these houses, everything looks the same. The guys' houses look the same. The information they have is the same. It's all the same. And it all stays the same until the storm. And the storm rolls in, and the rains come, and the floods' waters rise, and the winds blow, and the storm reveals the truth. The storm rocks one house to the ground, and the other house doesn't rock at all. And I think the the big lesson there is that it takes a storm to reveal the condition of of your foundation. When the storms roll in, your building techniques, those decisions that you've made every day to build a life, they're going to be exposed for what they are. And the lesson from Jesus is build for the storm. At Harvard University, um, there are rates of attempted suicide that are twice that of the national average. If you go to Princeton University, 35% of the students there will say that they developed a mental health issue after they stepped on campus. Go to any Ivy League school, and depression levels and anxiety levels are off the charts. Why is that the case? Here's the reason. Because all of these kids, here's one reason. Because all of these kids were the absolute best in the schools they came from. They were the smartest. They got the 34 on the ACT. Uh, They they said to themselves, you know what? I may not be the best looking or the most athletic, but I am the smartest. And that's who they were. That's the identity that they built for themselves. That's the life that they built. And now they step into Yale. They step into Harvard. They step into Princeton. What they find after making nothing but straight A's in high school, what they realize is that somebody at Harvard and Yale and Princeton has to make the B's and the C's and heaven forbid even the D's and the F's. And when they get that grade, when they realize they're not the smartest anymore, their whole world is shattered. That's the storm. Their self-image has just gotten rocked by the storm. And the storm has taken on the very foundations that they've poured, and those foundations crumble, and they do not know who they are anymore. And down comes the storm, down comes the rain, down comes uh, the, the, the floods and the wind. Crises expose our foundations for what they are. And it's the same thing. We don't have to pick on college kids. We could say the same thing about a career. If I build a career and I say, that's who I am, then who am I when it falls apart? We could say the same thing about money. If money is who I am, then who am I when my money grows wings and flies away like it probably will, like the proverb says? It's the same thing with our looks, right? If that's who I've become, if that's my identity, then who will I be when, the, when time does its damage to this masterpiece, <laughs> right? The storm is coming. Whatever you've made your identity, your foundation, 
The storm is coming. Everyone builds, everyone hears, everybody gets rained on, and the only way to survive in the storm is to build your house in the right way, on the right thing, in the right place. And so the big question that Jesus is asking is this, have you built your house with the storm in mind? That's it. And that, that is an awesome message. The VBS lesson is, look how Jesus teaches us. Jesus is wise and will be wise if we just hear His words and put them into practice and we dig deep. And I wish that we could just pray and end there. There's just one problem with that, and it is this video. Would you watch this? Bang up, bang up, bang up, Terry. Put it in reverse, Terry. Put it in reverse. Oh, Lord. Lord, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus. What the, what, what you doing, Terry? Terry, what you you've seen backup Terry? I saw somebody with a, with a 4th of July shirt said, put it in reverse, Terry, back it up, put it in reverse. Um, if nothing else, that is your 4th of July PSA from Community Christian Church, okay? Be careful out there, all right? But more than that, haven't you been there? I've been there, right? There, there's some situation where you know you need, you know what to do, right? And everyone around you is yelling at you what you need to do. Back up, Terry. Put it in reverse. You know, but you can't get it done. There's something in the way, and for whatever reason, you can't get it done. Ah, right? Despite our best efforts, we all land in moron territory way too much. I, I was there yesterday. Uh, it's July 3rd yesterday, and that, that should register in my mind as an important date, and it should be really easy, it has been over the years, really easy to remember that date. It's not a date that sneaks up on anyone. I mean, everybody knows the 4th is coming. There are firework stands everywhere that should have tipped me off. People, you know, the commercials are starting to roll, the 4th of July, and flags, and everybody's patriotic, and I should have known the third is just one day before the fourth, so when I see the fourth coming, I should have known the third. Well, the third is also my wife's birthday, and I missed it, and I'm a moron. Back up, Terry. I know, I know, right? Now, I won't call you a moron today. <laughs> but I wouldn't be wrong if I did, right? For all of us, like Terry, there, there's this good news that is embedded in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's, it's embedded in how Jesus teaches us. The VBS lesson for the day is look at how Jesus teaches us, and, and I love the way that that is phrased. It's not look that Jesus teaches us, like this is a wise and helpful thing. No, no, no. It's look at how Jesus teaches us. That's a profound difference. Verse 28 and 29, when he gets done with this story, the people are astonished. That's what the text says. It means they're stunned. 
they're, 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 they don't know what to do. Have you ever been at the end of a concert, maybe in a music hall or, you know, a, somewhere, and just the atmosphere in the room when that last note rings out and there's no more, there's no more music, but, but that last note is ringing and everybody just sits there in silence and they, they don't know what to do until somebody, you know, starts, but there's that, that brief moment where everybody is astonished, they're stunned, and that's, that's what's going on here. Jesus gives this final crescendo within, that ends with this moron who cuts corners. He knew better. He could have built better, but when the storm comes, it's too late for him to do anything about it, and his house comes crashing down, and they're stunned because they know that Jesus is not just talking about some moron somewhere, but he's talking about them too. There's a choice to be made. Rock or sand, wise or fool. But there's more here than that because they acknowledge that also Jesus teaches with authority. That's the word. And if you think about what teachers do, teachers, good ones, always are pointing to something else. You you take a math class and the math teacher is going to point to the equations. You take a history class and the history teacher is going to point to dates and events that happen. And the English teacher is going to point to grammatical structure or uh, literary devices, right? Religious teachers were no different. Even in Jesus' day, Jewish teachers would point to other well-respected Jewish rabbis. They would quote from their, their famous Jewish teachers. They would all point to somewhere else because that's all a good teacher can do is point to somewhere else. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't point to God the way other religious teachers did. Here's how Jesus teaches, by pointing to himself. That's astounding. That's stunning. The Sermon on the Mount is a messianic teaching. All the way through, Jesus is saying something about himself. He says in in chapter 5, I have come to fulfill the law. I have come to fulfill the law. He says over and over in 5 and 6, you have heard it said, but I say. In verse uh, 21, 22, and 23 of chapter 7, right before this story, he's talking about the end of time in heaven, and he says this. This is amazing. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get in. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. Here's a guy, here's a human man saying, you know what? When we all get to heaven at the end of time, people are going to have to come to me to get in. Try that out on your friends. See how that goes. But here's Jesus saying, it's my words that are words that you can build your house on. My words are faithful and true. My words are the words that you can build an identity on. My words are the ones that lead to life. That's a bold claim. That's a messianic claim. And Jesus just isn't any other teacher pointing the way to God. He is God. And so, all He does is He points to Himself. Do you want to know God? Jesus says, I am the way. And be glad that Jesus is not just like any other teacher. He says, I am 
the way because I've done it for you. When you find yourself like Terry and you just can't get it going and you find yourself in moron territory, when people are around you are screaming, put it in reverse, Jesus says, I've already done it for you. And all it takes to accept that gift is to make Jesus the foundation of your life. Now, here's the stunner for us today, the end of the teaching. And Jesus kind of lets it ring, just like the last note. He says, this is, the, this is what they're left with. If I don't choose to build my life on the foundation of this teacher, Jesus, then what foundation do I propose to build my life on? That's the big question hanging in the air. And that's part of the reason that they're stunned and they're astonished. Can my foundation, if it's not Jesus, withstand the storms that are about to come? Tony Evans tells a story about taking a cruise to Alaska with his wife and some ministry uh, supporters. And on the way back from that cruise, a storm broke out. They're still on the ship, and this was the worst storm in Royal Caribbean history. The waves were 50 feet high. And even on this cruise ship, plates were flying, pianos were rolling across the room, people were throwing up. It was a really messy situation. People were screaming all over the boat. And Tony said this. He said, my wife became evangelically ticked off. And so she picked up the phone and she said, I need to speak to the captain. They said, ma'am, the captain's on the bridge. He can't talk to anybody right now because, as you can imagine, we're going through a storm. There's just this, this storm thing. She says, would you please tell him that I'm very upset that he put us through this when it could have been avoided? He knew this storm was coming. We could have gone around it. And I just want to register that I am thoroughly upset about this. And they said, okay, we'll, we'll pass that on to the captain. A few minutes later, their phone rang, and it was the assistant to the captain. And he said, he said this, ma'am, we, we've just received your message, and I was relaying it to the captain, and he asked me to call and ask you two things. Number one, go to sleep, because the captain is going to stay up, and there's no use in both of you staying awake, so just go to bed. Number two, he wants me to tell you that this ship was built with this storm in mind. Long before we ever hit the storm, we knew this day was going to come. We knew that there would be a day when we would face nature at its most vicious level. And so way back when we were putting the boat together, we contemplated this moment. And this boat is structured in such a way that on whatever day the storm comes, while it's going to be inconvenient, while it's going to be irritating, while it's going to be aggravating and exacerbating, while it be, will be traumatic to go through, what you need to know is that all of this was considered when this boat was constructed. So while the storm is bad, the boat is better. And I don't know. I don't know what storms are headed your way or my way. I don't know what hurricanes or tornadoes you will face. Maybe you're just coming out of a storm, or maybe you're going into one, and if not of either of those, one is probably not too far away. But I, I do know this, that this Savior was built for the storm that you are going through right now.
the storm that will ultimately come for you. Jesus is the only foundation that will keep you from falling when you find yourself doing stupid and you build your house on a beach and the beach washes away. The storm of sin is bad, but Jesus is better. He's stronger than the storm. And so you're building. You have heard the storm will come. Pay attention. The only one left standing after the storm was the one who responded to the information that he was given. God, would you help us to hear the words of Jesus? And would you help us to put them into practice? We thank you for building a Savior that is stronger than anything that we will face. He alone is our salvation. And may He be and continue to be our unfailing foundation, our strength in the storm. In the name of Jesus, our rock, we pray. Amen.